You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 36 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next 40 minutes or so. Thanks to our PA announcer, Mike Ross, and of course, the PA announcer at Scotiabank Arena. Coming up on the podcast today, Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun will stop by, and so will. Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Gus and I do a piece-by-piece analysis of what the Leafs have this season going into the playoffs. So, yes, this is a playoff preview and analysis of where the Leafs are. Before we get there, big names are heading into this weekend's UFC 262 card. From Nate Diaz to Michael Chandler, there will be no shortage of action. And DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a heavyweight offer for this weekend's fight with 100 to 1 odds. One fighter will be walking away with the belt. The question is, will you be walking away with the cash? Just pick the main event fighter you think will win, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds on that fighter. That's right. Here it is. Bet $1 on select fighters, and if they win, you win $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry. If MMA isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball and hockey and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. Download the top-ranked DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on the main fight card to win. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 on select main card fighters for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, to the hockey story. The Leafs season is done. They finish at 35-14-7. The interesting thing about this is I can remember the 14 regulation losses. And here's where a cluster of them happen. The Leafs go with that perfect three-game sweep in Edmonton, and then they follow that with a 1-6 and six run. Those six losses are in regulation. Uh, lately, they've come out of an 0-3-2 run, so there's three more regulation losses. That gets them to nine. They finish the season on Friday night with another one. That's 10. And where are the other four? They happened very early in the season, and I can tell you why they happened. It was just part of the schedule. These things happen. Nobody's perfect. And so I don't remember ever having to say that I can remember each one of the Leafs' losses. When the Leafs were really, really bad, I could remember each one of their wins because there weren't many of them. In fact, I think you could find a team that would have been the reciprocal of what this team was. If this team is 35-14-7, I'm sure at some point you would find a prorated season that tracked like 14-35-7. This is how impressive the Leafs are. What we have for you today is a comprehensive assessment of what the Leafs have, what's on the Leafs' table as they get set to go into the playoffs that open against Montreal on on Thursday night at Scotiabank Arena. First up, Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun, and he is very optimistic about the Leafs in the first round. So, Terry, there's enough here to know how good this team is that that you could project them into the playoffs and, and figure out what they're going to do based on what we've already seen. 
Yeah, I think they'll beat Montreal in the first round. I don't know. I don't think it'll go seven games. I think it'll go five or six. Maybe there's a sweep. We'll see. But, you know, the, I know some of the voices out of Montreal talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, what the Canadians did in the offseason to prepare and bulk up a bit and get a little nastier physically well. You know, you had Corey Perry, Josh Anderson. They're, they're, they made a lot of good moves there, the Canadians did. Um the least did the same sorts of things and have a much better core to have, have added around period. Yeah. And I, I just think that some of the habits that the Leafs have, uh, have, have uh, gotten into this year, Jim, that we hadn't seen before. There's a resolve that's kind of new, I suppose um, that we didn't necessarily in the regular season uh, that come, we know you and I have talked about this, the maturity growth and all that sort of thing. But um, you know, they add players like Flino, you can put anywhere in the lineup and you know, he's going to be, he's going to do well for them. We haven't seen Riley Nash yet, and, uh, you know, we're not until game one, but I would think. But you know what he can do. He's got that playoff experience. I mean, there's there are a lot of good factors here that just haven't had in the past. In the blue, on the blue line, you're not turning to Martin Marincin if there's an injury. Up front, you're not turning to Fred Gauthier if there's an injury. The Leafs are a lot deeper on both spots. And, uh, you know, obviously in goal, this whole thing doesn't ride on Freddie Anderson like it has in the past couple of years to a, to a degree and they haven't got past the first round. I, I just think that with the improvement the Leafs have made, and then, you know, not only that, but how it played out in the regular season. They go and clinch a playoff spot, there's no letdown, right? Yeah. Nothing. I know they still wanted, you know, they talk about steps. Step one, the playoff spot. Step two, um, uh, first place in the division. Step three, they're not saying it out loud, but it's go win the Stanley Cup. Well, after they accomplished the, step, the first step, they, I can't remember what the record was after the night they clinched, but you know, they, they won the majority of their games coming after. So these are all good things going in. Well, look, you and I cover this team, so so we're well aware of what they've done. So here's what I'm going to throw at you, which is uh, uh, something that I think losses. Uh, they go 9-0-1, and then they go 0-3-2. So do the math here. That's six regulation losses, and three, that's nine. I actually know where the other four are. Yeah. I know every regulation loss for this team. Would you ever have said that before? No, I, I, I can't remember when you would have. Uh... I suppose if you went and picked through those Quinn teams in the early 2000s, you could to a degree, but um, there were just so few this year that you could do that. And, you know, the other thing, too, is they handled every team in the division. Uh, they had a winning record against every team in the division. I mean, look what they did to Montreal, Jim. Seven wins in ten games. And, yeah. you know, people talk about the fact, well, five of those were, were one-goal games. And I think in those one-goal games, at least were three and two, I believe. Well, the fact of the matter is you still got to go out and win them. And they, they did. I mean, so they weren't one goal games. That means in a lot of those other victories, you're beating them by, by two or three goals. So, you know, it's um, the fact you can do that with this team overall and, and look at the losses and, and really the ones to me earlier in the season don't matter. I mean, not that yeah. anything really do. But, uh, you know, I, I just like, you know, the fact that it's not a team that, falls apart late in games. It's not a team that falls apart, but has a one goal lead. It's not a team that falls apart in the third period. Um, like we would have seen a bit of before. And then I think, you know, people always say, well, does what matter things, whatever happened in the regular season doesn't necessarily matter in the playoffs. I think this year it does because you played this team so many times and so many times in a short window, what three and a half, four months. Right. Yep. Yep. So I think this matters a lot going in and yes, I know there are injuries on the Canadian side. They have been. They didn't have Carey Price the last month or so. And, you know, they have a lot of really good players who have been getting back from injuries and Shea Weber and and uh, Brendan Gallagher and, you know, we're not, Jonathan Duran with his personal issues. But not like the Leafs have been a full lineup every night either. 
You know, I, I, Zach Hyman's, you know, you could argue is the engine on this team. He hasn't played hockey in quite a while. So at least they had their injury problems as well, and it hasn't hurt them in the least. Uh, so, so we know that, uh, that Riley Nash is, is on his way back. Uh, we know that Felino's already back. What about Zach Hyman? Would he be around for the opening game against Montreal? Yeah, I, I think the impression is that if they didn't have some of these salary cap things to work the way around, that he would have been back. And and really, I think the only the only question mark, Jim, for game one is Zach Pagosian with the shoulder and where he's going to be in that uh, recovery. But again, you know... It, it's not that big a deal. I mean, because you have Sandine and what he's done this year, you know, you, you have, you know, Dermot's been fine you can plug in Ben Hutton, I suppose, if you have to in a pinch, the depth on the blue line is just so much more than it was a year ago and in previous years. So, but really, I, you know, Bogosian right now is going to be the only uh, person I think that, you know, may be questionable for game one. And we'll see how that changes. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of practice time coming up. Uh, you know, they're going to, the Leafs will be off Saturday I don't know that they're going to be ice on the ice four days in a row, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, going into Thursday. I would doubt that, um, but we'll have to see how that plays out. But point is, there's still lots of time here for Bogosian to get back and ready. Yeah, and so something that hasn't happened in, in decades, going way back into the late 70s, suddenly uh, from May 20th to May 31st, seven games needed. In 11 days, it, it ends. I mean, it's it's yeah. kind of a compressed schedule that way, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I, I think in a perfect world, they would have liked to have gotten away from the back-to-backs. Uh, but, what, games three and four, I think, in Montreal are back-to-back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, yep. you know, it's part of what you're doing this year. And it's not – that's never ideal for the playoffs. But, uh, you know, I think the one bonus for, for both clubs, obviously, is you don't have much travel involved. I mean, the flights between Montreal and Toronto are, are less than an hour. And uh, so there's not going to be a lot of uh, fatigue and taxation on the players that way. So that's good. But uh, you know what? Um, the fact of the matter is both teams, all teams in the NHL have become accustomed to playing this type of schedule now since January 13th and the first puck drop. So I don't think that's going to be that much of an issue once everything, because it's going to be equal footing for everybody for that. But like I say, in a perfect world, you wish it didn't have to be that way, but they're all accustomed to it now. I don't think it's going to be a problem. Yeah, so as, as you sit here getting set to uh, approach the playoffs, what is your biggest concern about this team, or do you have any? Leafs? Yeah. Well, try scoring a goal or two on the power play. Yeah. I mean, I, I, look, you can get past it because five on five, uh, they've been great. They, they're they in the, you know, they're, they're in the top of top five or six of the league. I've been on the numbers in front of me. Goals four or five on five, goals against, that has plummeted this year for them. So they're doing a lot of really good things defensively. Uh, last year, I think they were 26 overall there. I think last I looked, they were fifth in the NHL. So, Point of that is you're winning games without needing the power play. Look, Kerry Price comes back from his injury. The stand on his head a few times with those power play goals or lack thereof become a deciding factor now possible because we always talk about the importance of special teams and goaltending in the playoffs. But the fact, you know, the Leafs have gotten by because they have been so good at five and five, which is what you want. You don't want to have to rely on your special teams to get you by. But with the, the talent they have, Jim, and everything else, I mean, it's an issue going in. You should be scoring more often. That's all there is to it. And, you know, you want, you don't want to get, certainly you don't want to get into a spot where that costs you something, whether it's a win or whatever it is in the playoffs, especially against a team in Montreal that you should be going away. Yeah. I mean, and it is an odd problem for a team with this kind of uh, depth and versatility on the roster uh, that when you get a, a, an outman situation, uh, the the best players in the team can't sort this out. It's just it's it's disturbing to watch. I have to say. Well, it's weird. Like 
Mitch Marner and Ilya Mikheyev get more scoring chances on when they're shorthanded, it seems, than they do when the Leafs are on the power play. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's just so weird. I mean, it's like I know that the way that they're they're able to – I'm not – I'm just kind of joking. It's, you know, you're comparing apples and oranges, but uh, – it's uh, it has to be more of a concern than they than they've let on. I mean, look, the goal of the power play is to put the puck in the net. It's not to kind of look, try to look good to, in an attempt to do that. And they haven't even done that properly. It's not like they're, you know, spending two full minutes in the defensive or sorry, the offensive zone with a man advantage, and they're getting killed every night by a goalie standing on his head. That's not what's happening at all. You're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing the power play is stagnant at times. They're not getting the shots through. I mean, Jake Muzzin scored the other night on, on a, you know, on a shot from the point of the power play that you're looking at, they're going, okay, that's an element that we're noticing now because the Leafs just don't have it on their power play. They set up Matthews all the time for that shot and everything when that top unit is out there. And, and we see that that hasn't, you know, gone extremely well for them. So, you know, I, I guess the question is now, um, can you, can it be figured out quote unquote, where you are getting scoring? Um, We'll have to see, uh, but you hope also to get into games where, uh, you know, there aren't a lot of penalties either way. And you're not, again, that doesn't become a deciding factor for you. Yeah. And, you know, all of our assessments here are based on rather large sample sizes. So I, I think it's fair that if we can point out, we can remember all the regulation losses mm-hmm. and we can remember all the things that have worked out because there's a big enough sample size. Uh, the biggest sample size for failure is the power play. And and this goes back, uh, you don't want to go back in other years, but I have to at this point, because there's been three different coaches deal with that power play. And the same thing has happened. It starts out gangbusters and ends up minuscule. Yeah. It's it's bizarre, isn't it? Because when you have people running it and we all thought that coming in under Manny Malhotra would be, you know, a slam dunk that that, the things would be, you know, uh, uh, that much easier with it. Uh, It just, successful it just hasn't been there and and you know it is difficult to figure it out because you have smart players on the ice mitch marner is one of the most cerebral players in the league period when he has the puck on his stick even when he doesn't he's so smart and yet you know whether it's what other teams are doing this sort of thing i still think that the advantage should be at least every time when a you've got one more person on the ice and b it's a talent level you're not throwing people out there that that you're not sure about and what they bring offensively you know, it's it just it, it, it's a real head scratcher. It's all there is to it because you're right. It's yeah. not like a it's not like a thing where you can, you know, you can go back and say, OK, well, it, it's uh, you know, it was it's always been super amazing. And, and uh, you know what, what's happening now? There have been things where it hasn't been successful as you would like under other people. But I don't know. It's weird this year. It just doesn't make any sense. No, and it's it's an odd view just because um, you're talking about the most talented offensive players the Leafs have, which is a considerable statement, and it looks like they're trying to follow a script that isn't well written. Uh, you, know, you don't see any of the ad lib or any of the that's close, so let's try this. It's we got to follow this script, and, and it's just I mean you can literally see that on their faces when they're trying their zone entry. Yeah, and it's and you know it's weird. I mean they did I think they were what finished did finish six last year. So again you weren't you weren't you know, all you would think at that point, you just need a bit of tinkering or tweaking, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the personnel, for the most part, is the same. And, you know, we also thought, too, okay, well, you're getting, in Wayne Simmons, a net front presence guy. Uh, Thornton, if he can be that with you, you know, if, if he's going to put that role, I mean, I mean, you put that guy in front of the net, he's a mountain. I mean, not, not, not necessarily what you want, because Thornton's so good at distributing the puck, especially when there's one less person around. But it's, um, I don't know, it's... Uh, 
again, this is a bigger issue if they don't have if they're not as good as they have been at even strength and five on five. And you know, the other thing too is Jim, you know, you talk about concerns overall. I'd throw the PK into that because it's not exactly gangbusters either. Well, right? and that's that's a dangerous thing because now yeah. that you know the power play is not performing. When right. the PK suffers, I mean that that lack of power play efficiency almost almost creates zero tolerance for the PK failure right. just because it's it's a big sway. That's right. You don't you can't uh, you can't afford to let anything go in on the PK then at that point. You know, yeah, that, and that falls on everybody. It falls on the four players on the ice. It falls on the uh, the man in goal. Now I, again, I haven't looked at it specifically in a while, but the last they did. Jack Campbell had a pretty good save percentage on the PK. I think he was six overall in that amount of games he had played. Among goalies who played that amount of games, and I looked at the 19 or 20 games, whatever it was. So, you know, he, he had a good record there, but um, Anderson didn't. And, uh, you know, again, you don't want it to become a, an issue, but you're also playing a Canadians team that, you know, I know that they've added a nice little player in Cole Caulfield, Cole Caulfield late here, sorry, excuse me. Yeah. You know, I don't know how much he'll be a factor. I mean, he's still pretty green, but – um you know, you're not you're not facing a team either that scores bushels of goals, so that's one you know bonus for you. But um, you know, we'll have to see whether maybe something you know is turned on and they, they they are able to solve it. But you know, if they can keep doing what they've been doing at five on five, then you know this might not be an issue for them at least in the first round. Well, and and I think we all understand. Just go back to the first game of the regular season against Montreal. I mean, that's Montreal knows exactly how they have to play against the Leafs. They have to be like on the Leafs for sixty minutes. Otherwise, there's there's no game, and yeah. and they are capable of that. Uh, so the question is, will they do it? And will the Leafs allow them to do it, or or will, will the Leafs get ahead of them? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's again, it's um, I don't know. It's uh. It's hard, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I just think that, you know, with the way that the Leafs play the game now and, and they're structured so much better and all this sort of thing, that they, they've got the advantage in, in that department going in. The, the Habs, having said that, can be uh, structured well. But, I mean, in their own – in their own um, in the defensive zone, you know, the Leafs haven't had much of an issue with them in recent games, right? So Yeah. Well, well Shea well, Weber is a big loss. Jay Weber is a big loss and, you know, you know, we'll see how the, the injuries and everything all uh, filter through and, and him coming back. And, and uh, you know, I would assume he's going to be back uh, for the, for the opening game. But, um, you know, again, when he's, when he has been in, the Leafs were able to win some of these games. So, you know, yeah. Matt, Matthew's had a good record against Montreal this year, 14 points in 10 games. Marner was good against them. So, and that they were against every team, but, you know, bottom line is, you know, the Leafs, in so many areas, I think, are just have that advantage over the Canadians going into this. Well, they, now, they should. I, I just think that the Habs without Weber or Deneau uh, would be in big trouble. I think they're in trouble anyway, but but those are yeah. those are two guys that have to be there for the Habs. Well, and you look at, you know, Deneau has done some good things when he has played Matthews this year. Then yeah. Matthews has been there. So and Matthews, if you want to put it this way, he might, might have to work a little bit harder for his points. But um you know, it's uh, we'll have to see. I mean, uh, again, I think let's put, let me say it this way: if you don't, if you don't, there are no injuries on either side going in, and no injuries happen during the the, the first round, the advantages all still fall on the Leafs side. Yeah, I agree. 
Uh, you know what, Terry? I've, I've had enough of this. We have to play. I know. Yes, yes guy, no guy. Ladies and gentlemen, okay. boys and girls, those okay. listening on wireless earbuds or wired earbuds, time now okay. for the Leafs Guy edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. Here we go. Yes Guy, No Guy number one. Jack Campbell starts, but Freddie Anderson has more than a cameo in this movie. Is the movie the first round or the playoffs? The playoffs. Yes, guy. Yeah. I, th- I think so. Um, can you envision a scenario where the Leafs run the table and, and go all the way and win and Campbell's playing 20-plus games? I suppose, but Anderson, I think, would be, you know, he's going to be a valuable fallback for them at some point. Yeah, there's uh, he's going to appear sometime at some point, and, and maybe the sooner the better, or, or maybe not. Yep. That, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I know he's going to be there. Uh, yes, guy, no guy number two, Ben Hutton will have a major role in a Leaf playoff run. No guy. Oh. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. I mean, he, he, he's he's there to come in when needed. I think you, Rasmus Sandin has solidified his spot. Uh, Bogosian, uh, when he, when, before he got hurt, was, was uh, I think, better than they were expecting. We yeah. saw Bogosian did last year. Can Hutton come in and play? Yes. He's going to have a major role? No. Yeah, I just I, I sort of look at it this way. Like I have nothing against Rasmus Sandin. I think he's a, a high end prospect, and and even Travis Dermott, I, I I have total respect for as a player. But it just seems to me that there's there's some negotiation on both of those guys in a heavy duty playoff series. I'm talking about round three, right. um, and, and for me, Ben Hutton and Bogosian would be a real nice five six in a Stanley Cup run. Well, I, they could be, but I guess I go back to the original uh, question then major role I think right so I don't yeah. not, well, not your top four no 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 not, not, not that but but you know having said that if, if you were to win a Stanley Cup the five six guys have a major role they just have to be flawless for 12 minutes a night right okay yes for 12 minutes a night not yeah. 8 or 20 but no, no but I'm still sticking with no guy you cannot convince me Okay, sorry, guy. Uh, <laughs> now, let me see if I can word this properly. Uh, yes, guy, no, guy. The rotation the least will present on the left side of their forward unit will be second to none. Well, it's going to be close to it. I, yes, guy, with this, put Hyman on the top line. That's where he's got to be. Felino, yeah. part, Felino with the next two, with Tavares and Nylander. As a whole, that's a, that's a hell of a top six. Yeah, I would I would suggest to you that if you take the four guys on the left side, you could put them in any order based on the matchup or based on how the other team is playing the Leafs. Yeah, I I, I just yes, I would agree with that. But this whole idea of you know Keith mentioned it the other day, Jim, about they like what the line of Kerfoot, McKayev, and Hyman can do. Well, Hyman with Matthews and Marner gets you more. They don't get scored on and they score. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I agree with you, but having said that, uh, let's say we're in round three, right. and the other team you're playing is pretty darn good too, by the way. In fact, maybe even better than, yeah. than the Leafs in terms of the regular season. Those first two lines, the Leafs' first two lines and whoever they're playing, they might cancel each other out. You might yeah. need that third line. That might be the sway line, right? You're right. And, you know, an X factor, I suppose, now is a guy like Delchenia because he, we talk about people who have come in and played better than they're probably expecting. He's another one. But as it starts right now, he might not even be in game one. He's a guy that you could look at and say, okay, he, he could be a factor for you somewhere down the line, if even if he's not in that opening night lineup, which I think is very possible. Okay, I hate to end it on this, but and this may be a quick answer. Yes guy, no guy. The least power play will be better. Yes guy. Oh, I like the optimism. Can't be worse. 
<laughs> well, it could be if they allow shorthanded goals. <laughs> I suppose it's got to get better. Has to. <laughs> Okay. Yes. And on that, on that plea of desperation, we'll end this. Thank you, Terry. Thanks, Jim. Now we go down the hall to Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. And this is a systematic breakdown of the Leafs piece by piece. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, Gus, uh, let's go through this uh, from top to bottom. And, and so if we're going to do that, let's start with the goaltending because, uh, you know, Freddie Anderson in the, in the game against Ottawa looked okay. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't take the performance literally, but but seems serviceable enough. I don't know, you know, if that creates who do you start in the playoffs, that question. Uh, but I know that at some point, as I said on previous podcasts, at some point Freddie appears in the movie. I don't know if it's in the first scene or down the road, and either one is a precarious setting for me because he just he just doesn't have the reference points. Two months is a long time off. There's a point where you have to evaluate whether or not you're better off um, going into the playoffs with perhaps an unproven name in Jack Campbell that has had decent results despite the fact that he's also been playing hurt over uh, Frederick Anderson, who... I mean, in the first couple of years of his existence as a Toronto Maple Leaf, he was stellar. We could use the word elite because I don't really like using the word elite as often as I kind of see it through social media and and regular conversations. No, no, I I, I agree with you. He really was, though. Like, and it was a necessity at that time, too. The Leafs didn't play very well defensively. They were just so focused on getting the skilled components and trying to establish what the roster and the makeup and the style that they wanted to play that – Frederick Anderson was essentially that wall and and, and everything that kind of kept everything together. So as long as he played elite, they were able to uh, capitalize on their offensive abilities and it gave him a decent enough balance with a whole bunch of defensive questions. Well, his play has downgraded. And over the course of these last two seasons, he's not that elite Frederick Anderson that he was when he first came to Toronto. So if you were looking at from a talent perspective, is an unhealthy, declining skilled, goaltender as good or better than Jack Campbell, the question doesn't necessarily make sense anymore. So if you're going to go into the playoffs in a particular year where you're favored to maybe even go very far and potentially even win, you need to have at least average or better goaltending. You're going to get that from Jack Campbell, probably more so than you will with Frederick Anderson. There have been way too many recent um, examples of his inability to keep a team in place for them to be able to capitalize on their best features. Um, and Jack Campbell, despite the fact that he doesn't have the pedigree, he probably has the solution currently for average or better goaltending. And that's the key point. You need average or better goaltending in today's NHL to be able to be competitive in the playoffs. There's no more Patrick Watts. There's no more Martin Brodeurs. There's no more individual goaltenders that steal games, series, and a Stanley Cup. You need to rely on every player on that roster. It starts from the goaltending, and then it moves its way out. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with anything you said there. I just think that, um, you know, the Freddie Anderson story in Toronto is, is remarkable. He was steady Freddie, and that became Freddie Van Vliet with the Raptors because steady Freddie with the Leafs wasn't steady anymore. I think he wore the eliminations in the first round more than he should have. It was a team loss. Uh, having said that, I'm just a little afraid that, as I've said before, he appears in the movie somewhere. I know he does. And the question is, in game one, he's rusty. Uh, but in game five of the second round, he's more than rusty. So I don't know how this works out. I'd, I'd be a little afraid. But but I agree with your point. 
the goal here is to win the Stanley Cup, not to rehab a former number one goalie. So once you admit the goal is to win the Stanley Cup, you go with Campbell until he proves otherwise. And you might actually end up in a platoon situation, right? Today's right. NHL is not necessarily about a one a starter and a backup. There's a lot of platooning happening. And I think that we'll see that a lot more going forward. So even in a short, I'll use the word tournament because the playoffs are somewhat of a tournament. Sure. Um, they might end up platooning. If Campbell has a bad game, Anderson might step in, step, uh, uh, just stand on his head and say, you know what, maybe the, he deserves that start in the next game. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit from both, but I would almost guarantee that Campbell is in net on game one. And that's kind of where the situation kind of starts to, to unravel. You don't know what's going to happen into the future, but that game one decision, I think, is a Jack Campbell decision. Well, and that's that's interesting. You know, I, I want to go back to your your point of uh, there aren't any more Patrick Waz or or Mar Marty um, boy Marty Brodeur's, and and that's true. Except for uh, the way the salary cap works in, in Montreal, people will argue it's Carey Price and and Hellebuck in Winnipeg. But but having said that, the Price story sort of tells you that uh, even if you have that guy, it doesn't always work out as good as he is. I mean, there are health issues there. And so I, it's kind of interesting to watch this is it went from the guy who could play 68 to 72 games and, and soak up the cap money and, and do it to now it's back to where it was decades ago with the platoon. There is no clear number one. And that happens for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is ability. And the other one is cap problems. It, there's really no point to pay a goalie 10 million bucks. It just it wrecks the rest of your team. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've kind of always said this. Um, I don't necessarily believe that defense wins championships. You can't win if you can't score goals. So the only defense that you need to do is to be able to make sure that you're getting the puck back. So I think what you're getting from the star goaltender, it was a necessity at that time. Current, the current mentality in the NHL is less about defensive structure and more about the skilled components. There are way too many really, really good players entering the league. So that's changed the dynamic of goaltending in itself to the degree that teams have pushed more money into skilled players. And that's the situation going forward. So the platooning um, is actually a bonus because they're focusing on the right attributes that will make teams competitive and contending over longer periods of time because we don't really see a lot of dynasties and players move and all that kind of stuff to your point the salary cap also has issues there as well too but strategically there are strategic um components to why you want to use the platoon and the leafs are a fantastic example of that they've devoted so much money into that top four that skilled component and their strategy and their their philosophy essentially kind of keys in on those values and they use all the other components defensive as well even offense coming from the defense and the goaltending being average or better that's all they really need to do and studies have always proven um, at least moving forward that goaltending will never be at that level that we saw in the past it will always be average or better yeah. Okay. So uh, defense doesn't win championships, but offense from defense does. So let's take a look at the Maple Leaf Blue Line. We're going to go through this in, in various chapters. The one glaring, I guess, uh, weak spot is goal scoring from the Blue Line. What's your take on that? How important is that? So the one thing that I've kind of noticed from the perspective of today's game as well is they're starting to move away from a lot of point shots there's not a lot of puck movement coming from uh, from the point there's a lot of movement coming from from lower in uh, or lower in the zones so defensemen aren't flashing a, 
and, and throwing shots aimlessly from the point, they are strategically being involved in the cycle. They may not necessarily score a lot more, but they are vital in the fact that they're able to keep pucks in zones. And even if the points don't necessarily agree with it, the setup for those points and all the the um, the, the preceding play prior to even the second assist being um, finally formalized. Um, that's just as important. So when we look at from offense, from the defense, it doesn't always necessarily contribute from a points perspective, but they are doing things from a setup that will allow the skilled forwards. And you see with Toronto, it's specific too, because you do have such a good um, forward unit that you don't necessarily need to rely on offense from the defense, but they provide vital attributes that allows those skilled forwards to do their thing. If the defense isn't doing their thing, then the forwards don't get pucks. If the forwards don't get pucks, you don't score goals. You don't score goals. You don't win championships. So the chain of progress from establishing an offensive mindset to the degree of making sure that you have the players that are there that have the finishing ability to take advantage of all that preceding movement, that's what Toronto's philosophy is like. So I'm not really expecting a big point total coming from the defense, but I expect the things that they've been doing these last maybe two seasons to continue so that they're able to support the offense that is just so explosive up front. Yeah, so I'm going to just probably use the different words to say the same thing. I mean, offense from defense is participating in the offense all the way down the ice. So when you see the scouting report on him, on a defenseman, uh, he can make the first pass. That's part of it. Moving the puck out, which is they're very good at, and that's how you participate in the offense. That, to me, really is offense from defense. The way it was three years ago or, or longer, it was just a complete uh, disconnect between the forwards and the defense. Now they move out as five. So that, that to me, would would categorize and a, a big check mark beside offense from defense. I know the defensemen don't score, but as you say, slap shots from the blue line are few and far between these days because it gets blocked and goes the other way. So the other thing about that too is defensemen aren't necessarily defense first. I use air quotes to say defense because right. they're supposed to be part of an offensive solution. Defense in a philosophy itself is getting me the puck back so I can play offense. So a defenseman that jumps up into the play and they hit four players to the offensive blue line, that's a distinct advantage. That player may never touch the puck, but the presence being there, it causes strategical effects for the opposition to be able to kind of break it down. So you're absolutely right. There's so many other smaller components to the modern day defenseman that we could have our own separate podcast for that specific element. But the Leafs really have captured the element of what they want their defense to do, how they want them to participate in generating scoring chances um, and being very active in doing so. And they have the players that are able to actually do that as well. You don't see a lot of Bob Rouse's and defensive defensemen. That's kind of like a, uh, it's a unicorn at this point something in the past is just never going to return you need to be able to generate scoring chances and your defense is a vital part of that philosophy yeah just as an observation of all the things that have evolved in this game over the last 20 years certainly with with the rule book uh, being adjusted in the game opening up the defenseman has evolved the most hasn't he um it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I'm doing a presentation on what analytics have uh, for a conference, what, how analytics have actually changed the game. And the defenseman, uh, uh, at least attributes of a defenseman is one of the biggest changes. And it's still evolving because, I mean, the bottom line here is if you're going to be using defensemen as forwards or at least rovers and at least contributing more to the offense, you need to be able to teach your forwards to be able to be defensively smart, support. Right smart actions, support those players that are moving up. There's, 
there is still an evolution in the defensive, um, sorry, in the attributes that a defenseman brings. Um, but I think that we're close to seeing the final product. We're seeing a lot more integration into the offense. Um, and there's no more of this moving back. Everybody is going to end up playing in different situations. They'll have different responsibilities moving forward. And that skilled component, the skilled component, which also on one last note, has also coincided with a explosion of skill development in players at younger ages in the 10 to the 11, 12, 13, 4. All those kids that are getting all this specialized treatment, they're ready to hit the NHL at 18, 19, 20 years old. They're already skilled enough to play on the blue line and contribute to the offense. There's a new wave of kids coming in, and we're going to see a lot more of the evolution of defensemen coming forward. Okay, so uh, let's go back through the rest of the team. So we got offense and defense in, in the way that it should be. Um, the uh, I guess the albatross on this team is the power play. Uh, going into a playoff series, uh, you know, it's Montreal in the first round, uh, which it shouldn't hurt that much. But, it, you know, the, the, the problem with it, any kind of deficiencies are the deeper you go, the more they stand out. So I, I don't know how you fix that but it is stagnant. Um, when I see the neutral zone drop pass, it's like a, it's like somebody putting a sign at center ice. We don't know where we're going. Bear with us. We'll get there eventually. And as, as you've detailed in the entries, you know, 20, 25 seconds per entry attempt, and there's just no rhythm. There's no breakdown of the coverage. Uh, that is a massive problem. I don't know how you fix that. The, the word I tend to use with Toronto's power play, which has actually been evident since game one, even though they were really having a lot of success in the first dozen games, predictability. Yes. The bottom line here is they try to get the puck to the uh, the half boards and they try to fire shots through players. Now, you can do that when you're Austin Matthews, I guess at a more decent clip, but that can't be your strategy. You need to have more weapons in your quiver and have at least some other dynamic that, that changes the way that you look either set up in the zone or trying to enter the zone. Those zone entries are hard to watch. Like, I just want to gouge my eyes out every time they make that drop pass. Oh, no, no, and, no. <laughs> and it's even worse when you know that the drop pass is coming and the opposition puts a forward in oh, between them. Yeah. So it, it's, it's we so readable. Again. It's it, readable. Come on. That that predictability, the factor that you're able to, to to already telegraph what this team is going to do, you already have a set way that you can defend against that. So, yeah, that's nice that they have a whole bunch of skilled players up front. But if your tactics are so predictable, and the fact is Toronto hasn't really changed a lot of their tactics over the course of the season from the power play as well. Even as it struggled, they trotted out the same players. They kept trying to do the same things over and over and over. I guess from a percentages perspective, if you do something 100 times and you expect it to work 20% of the time, then you need to do those. But now we're getting into the point where the power play can't be based on percentages. It needs to be based on effectiveness. Oh, yeah, at the right goal, time. That power play goal in game four that puts that team away and wins you the series, that's more important than having a 30% power play running all through the regular season. So they really need to do something about the predictability. I don't exactly know what that entails, and I think that we'll start to see something on, uh, along the lines of changes in game one. Well, and the troublesome thing about it is, um, you know, that power play, uh, as, as it is, uh, you know, the entries are one thing. When they're in the zone, it's a, it's a passing drill. And because it's so inefficient, it puts enormous stress on the penalty kill because the penalty kill cannot allow the other team to score a power play goal because that's almost like a, a, a two-goal sway. We didn't score in the power play. They did. I mean, that that's a tough spot. Have you ever heard of the term power kill, Jim? No. 
Power kill is the philosophy of using your penalty kill in a more offensive type situation. So let's ah. let's talk about Mitch Marner. Yeah. Mitch Marner has had a um, and he's been a very decent penalty killer. I'm going to give him the credit that he's due. But the reason why Mitch Marner is on the penalty kill is to create an offensive double game uh, trouble. You're trying to put him on the ice so that when Mitch Marner gets the puck, that four forward one uh, one defenseman setup that the opposition is using is now going to have to play defense. So good luck trying to defend against a skilled player like Mitch Marner. So instead of trying to kill a penalty, they're actually trying to generate scoring chances while on a penalty. So there are two things that have kind of happened here. One, the reliance on the power play is distinctly relied on success at the penalty kill. Right. They have altered the way that they've uh, philosophized their penalty kill to be more offensively oriented. And it's now added a greater element of risk to the way that they kill penalties. So while the Leafs are all out offense, and I have no problem with using that power kill mentality, as long as there's a, a, a basic defensive structure, um, I'm just not sure how you can accurately rely on a predictable power play, a penalty kill that is relying on that support to be able to kind of work through difficult moments while still trying to generate scoring using your penalty kill and then increasing the risk of being scored against. There are so many moving parts to the Leafs special teams. Um, The dependency on one component to be more um, effective than the other, uh, it, it doesn't really jive. So there could be potential points in there where their power play really goes off the rails and it just isn't able to score. And they're suddenly all of a sudden just starting to get better chances and killing more penalties because they're generating more offensive chances using those forwards and using those players. You get enough good offensive minded forwards on your penalty kill, you could really do a lot of damage to us, uh, um, an established power play. So I think that the Leafs need to sync up a lot of those little, um, little images. Um, and I think at the end, those special teams will be something that we're going to be talking about at the end of the season. If the power play starts to click, that could be the component that actually sends them to a championship. Oh, if the penalty yeah. kill falls, whoo, they're done. You can't, and you can, you would like to think that the Leafs can outscore their problems because of the offensive ability, but you know, Winning six five is not that that easy anymore, and and it's probably something that you don't really want to hang your hat on. You want to be able to just give your team an ability to win, and that takes all the components that we've already discussed: offense from defense, the goaltending, and all the special teams attributes. Well, look, there's there's a couple of points that you made there that I want to go back over. First of all, I think if you're in a a reasonably tight playoff game, and this is I've had this analysis for decades. Uh, the point you're looking at is the last seven minutes of the second period and maybe the first 10 of the third. Whenever that goal happens there, that's the sway goal. So, I mean, you can overcome it, but it's that goal seems to be etched in stone as the turning point of a hockey game. Uh, and I want to just go back to what you said about how the Leafs PK against other teams. So let's flip that around. Do you not okay. find that when the Leafs are on the power play that the other teams are, are using their PK with, with offensive upside to exploit that that neutral zone drop pass because it's so predictable. I mean, there is there are exploitable seams there, aren't there? Absolutely, and predictable is the key thing there, right? If you're yeah. able to kind of pinpoint those moments strategically where the Leafs kind of um, are just most predictable, you could absolutely use a power kill strategy to turn that right around. And now it's not like those forwards are all defensive experts either. If you have Nylander and Tavares and Spezza and, and uh, or at least Matthews and Marner all on the ice, they, they're decent enough defensively, but you could put a lot of chaos into their penalty kill, um, sorry, while killing a penalty to 
really put the Leafs back on their heels. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. And and the power kill mentality is actually a league-wide phenomenon. It's not just a Toronto thing. Um, but Toronto's really used it to its advantage. Columbus, funny enough, has actually used it quite a bit to its advantage as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if other teams, seeing the model, seeing the success that teams are starting to get using more offensively-minded um, tactics on your penalty kill, the Leafs are a prime, prime suspect to be able to exploit that. Okay, last bit of analysis, and I would suspect that this is a pretty good rating, the least five-on-five play. So I'm not convinced that they're the best five-on-five team. Um, They have come together under that, again, the offensive philosophy to be able to use their players in their specific ways that they're actually um, built to. Like, we can... I think Austin Matthews has, has improved defensively. Um, you can kind of see it on the ice in his movements and the mentality. That's fine. You see it kind of filtering through the forward rosters more so this year than you have in the past. You have veterans in Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza and players that I think can kind of tie in any loose ends. So their even strength play is um, decent enough for them to be able to contend. If you take Austin Matthews out of that equation, the team is decent enough at five on five to contend, but I would question whether or not they are championship caliber without that star player. Hmm. So there's a distinct drop off when you take Matthews out of the lineup. So five on five play with him is very effective. Five on five play without him. Matthews plays almost 20 minutes a game regardless. So there's a factor there. And if he's not a hundred percent, if there is any issues with his wrist, that is going to affect even strength play. And I think that's the key point. They're good enough to play without him. They're not a championship quality team uh, so, uh, without him, though. Last minute of play in this podcast. Well, there's our time warning from our PA announcer, Mike Ross. Time now for the Yes Guy, No Guy Awards. Yes Guy, No Guy number one, Austin Matthews. Oh, man, finishes with 41 goals. He is the straw that stirs this drink. It's going to be fascinating to see him rise to the occasion in the playoffs. Austin Matthews, oh, Yes Guy. The power play. Oops, Guy. Wow, Guy. Oh, no. No guy. Fix it now, guy. This is an albatross. What else could I say? Let's move on. Yes, guy, no guy. Number three, the Leafs left side up front. Oh, I love the versatility. There's four or five guys there and mix and match. Yes, guy to flexibility. And how about the season? 35, 14, and 7. That is a rather loud. Are you ready for this? Let's do it on one, two, and three. One, two, three. Yes, guy. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed Leaf Sky episode number 36. Hope you come back for episode number 37 on Tuesday.